which was slain before the foundations of the universe. I mean, can feel the presence of the Lord this morning. I believe He's got great things in store for us today. If you have your Bible, will we please the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 9. Going to be looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. I know it seems like the holidays just fall right behind each other. We're going right into Thanksgiving, right out of Thanksgiving into Christmas, and I know some of your homes may look like a seasonal set at Walmart. Somebody got it. I can probably walk into some of your homes right now and I can see a little bit of Halloween. I can see a little bit of Thanksgiving. I can see a little bit of Christmas. And it seemed like some of us had figured out the most proper day, the best day to put out our Christmas tree is the day after Labor Day. And so it seems like the, the holidays just fall right behind each other. And today the Lord led me when I was seeking the Lord for what He would have me to do. And He placed upon my heart to, um, to go to the ninth chapter of Isaiah in the direction He would have me to go. He wants me to, uh, for the next three weeks, counting this week plus three weeks, He wants me to observe the characteristics of Jesus according to Isaiah. And it seemed like every year we go through the Christmas season, we stay within the lines of our tradition that we do every single year, after year after year. We have our favorite dishes prepared. Some of our some families are what you call the snacking families. And then some have the full blown spread again, like they did on Thanksgiving, they do it again on Christmas. And we uh, have our favorite activities, whether it's games outside or our favorite uh, show to watch, favorite sport to watch, or whatever the case may be. We all have our family traditions that we love to do. And, uh, and some of us too, uh, don't look forward to this holiday every year. We don't look forward to Thanksgiving. We don't look forward to Christmas because therefore it reminds us of the uh, loved ones that we had here at, at one time that are no longer here now. And so therefore we begin to dread the holidays as they soon approach. And the point I'm trying to simply make is this, that no matter what the family tradition, no matter what type of style, or no matter what type of celebration that we may perform, that we ought not to forget that Jesus Christ is the reason for the season. And that no matter how we conduct this season, no matter how we conduct this holiday, that we ought not to forget that Jesus Christ is again the reason for the season. I feel like we look forward to getting our excitement, our hope, and our joy from when we wake up on Christmas Day. And we are like little kids. We cannot wait to get to the Christmas tree and, and see what all the goodies that are up under the Christmas tree. And I want to share this with you that our hope does not lie and our hope and our joy and our happiness does not lie up under a Christmas tree once a year on Christmas Day. But we know not to just look at the things under the tree, but we also need to remember that Jesus Christ died upon the tree for us. And we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to turn our attention to Isaiah the ninth chapter. Being in verse 1, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not 
be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them have the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before the according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of war, or every battle of the warrior, is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. Now, we normally read that uh, that verse, verse 6, normally around Christmas time, and we normally have our children recite that verse during Christmas plays and Christmas programs and, and things of that nature, but oftentimes we don't really get into the context of that passage of Scripture. Now, the gloom that is mentioned here in the ninth chapter kind of overflows from the eighth chapter prior to the ver uh, chapter nine in Isaiah eight twenty two, and they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. The evasion of the Assyrians would be trouble. And would be hard for the Jewish people, especially for the northern regions of the promised land, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. In this context that I'm trying to bring before you today, that in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 is all the more precious, promising. The gloom that they are seeing will not be upon her who is distressed. The northern regions of the promised land around the Sea of Galilee were most severely ravaged. When the Assyrians invaded the north, the promise is that this land, once seemingly lightly esteemed by the Lord, will one day, will one day have a special blessing. The northern tribes will be the first to suffer from the Assyrian evasions. So in God's mercy, they will be the first to see the light of the coming Messiah. When Isaiah wrote this prediction of the coming of the wonderful counselor, he was spurring Israel to remember their Messiah was indeed coming to establish his kingdom. Now, Isaiah was writing nearly this, uh, this prophecy, this passage of scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, about seven to eight hundred years prior to the coming of Jesus. This period of history was uh, turmoil as the Assyrians were on the march taking people into captivity by the multitudes, by the hundreds and thousands. Isaiah's prophecy gave the people of God a hope that they so desperately needed. A child would be born to fulfill the covenant or the prophecy that was given by Isaiah and would bear the titles Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
the child of Christ, the prophecy which is uh, its constant uh, conversation at Christ's second coming. That Isaiah calls the Messiah the wonderful counselor indicates the kind of characteristic of the coming king. Now, we just read four names that is given to the coming Messiah. Wonderful counselor. Some say wonderful. Some say wonderful counselor. It means as one. The original context is within the same frame. It can be translated either way. Wonderful or wonderful counselor. Either way. Now, Isaiah gives us four specific uh, titles of the coming Messiah. Now, when we look at those things, we don't need to just look at them as being names of the coming Messiah. But if you look at the names throughout Scripture, through the Old and the New Testament, that these names that Isaiah recorded is not necessarily just his name, but it's a way to describe his character. His uh, uh, the type of person he is. He is wonderful. He is our counselor or our guide. He is a uh, everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. Now, if you go back to uh, Genesis, you find a man by the name of Jacob. And we all know the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's name literally means the deceiver, the hill catcher. And when you look at that name, it describes who he is. He is a deceiver. He is a, uh, a person of deception. He uh, uh, deceived his father Isaac for, his, for the birthright that which actually belonged to his brother Esau. But Jacob wanted it and he deceived his father by placing on a fur coat and got close to Isaac. And when uh, Isaac reached over and touched him, he said, Oh, my son uh, Esau. Because the Bible has described Esau as a very hairy, red-haired, hairy man. And so Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. And so even people in today, we, uh, we give our children names because either some today give it because it's a name that we may like or it may be a name of our, old, uh, our grandmother or our grandfather. We want to pass that name on and some parents actually get, uh, get out the big name book and sit down and they go through all the different types of names and actually see the definition and the meaning that they want to place upon their child. And so when we look at this, we're looking at the characteristics of the coming Messiah. He is wonderful. He is our Prince of Peace. He's our everlasting Father. He is our Counselor. Amen. The word wonderful in this passage literally means incomprehensible. We can't comprehend Him. The Messiah will cause us to be full of wonder. Has, has He ever done that in your life? Has he ever done wonders in your life and say, my God, how that happened? How did, how did this work out? How did God make a way this way? He's incomprehensible. I can't figure this man out. And that, he was designed not to be figured out. Because if we could figure him out, we wouldn't need him. Amen. The Messiah was caused to be full of wonder. The word is much heavier than what we see in our normal conversation today. We say things are wonderful meaning they are pleasant, lovely, or best, uh, least bit likable. But Jesus, wonderful in a way, is boggling to the mind. The same word for wonderful is used in Judges chapter 13, verse 18, when Manoah, Samson's father, asked the Lord what his name was. Now watch this. This is him asking the angel what his name was. The angel of the Lord responded, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? There's that word again. It's because it's wonderful. In other words, what was he saying? He was saying this. Why do you ask my name since it is beyond your understanding? 
He said, why do you want me to tell you my name? You ain't going to comprehend it no way. Ain't you thankful today that our ways are not his ways? Right. And our thoughts are not his thoughts? Because if they were, we would be in a hot mess today. Right. Jesus showed his wonderfulness in different ways, various ways. When he was on the earth beginning with the conception of the womb of a virgin named Mary, he showed he is the wonderful one in power to heal his amazing teachings, his perfect life, and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus taught many wonderful things that are contrary to the human mind. He taught things that our mind just can't comprehend. Like, for example, blessed are, the who are those who mourn. Rejoice and be glad in persecution. I know today we can't understand and comprehend that. Why am I supposed to rejoice in persecution? Paul said, I rejoice in persecution. I rejoice. I count out joy. Or love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. We have a hard time with that. We have a hard time loving those who do wrong to us. It's like that part in Scripture we want to kind of blot out. Because that's when the flesh rises up and says, if they do that one more time to me, God is my witness, and Lord, He is our witness. I'm going to extend a right hand of fellowship right after them. That's the old flesh. That's the old man. Again, He is incomprehensible. Some things we just cannot comprehend. Jesus kind of wondered in all inspiring and superior to other kinds, for He is perfect in every way. The second part of the Messiah's title is the word counselor. We looked at wonderful. How it means just basically incomprehensible. Now we're looking at the word counselor. Now in ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed as a wise king. And such as Solomon giving guidance to his people. Now Isaiah uses that word again in Isaiah 28, 29 to describe the Lord. And if you want to look it over later, it says uh, him being the counselor. It also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Jesus is a wise counselor. He did not need any testimony about mankind. For he knew what was in each and every single person. He already knew. He is able to advise his people thoroughly because he is qualified in ways no human counselor is. That's what makes him the wonderful counselor. Because he is more qualified than any uh, counselor we have today in America with any degree, titles, or diplomas on the wall. He is more than qualified. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is all-knowing, including the knowledge of all human nature. Jesus always knows what we are going through when we're going through it. He always knows what we're facing when we face it. And he always knows the right course of action. Amen. You may go to your friend, you may go to your mama, you may go to your daddy and say, I'm going through this, can you help me get out of this? And I'm like, that's above my pay scale. I am sorry. I don't understand what you're going through, nor do I have an answer or solution. But Jesus does. That's right. He's our wonderful counselor. His, his ways and thoughts go so beyond all of our finite brains can ever comprehend. Christ's position as our wonderful counselor simply means that we can trust him and listen to our, and he'll listen to our problems and not only listen to our problems, but he will guide us in the right direction. He can listen to us because he told us to pray about our worries. Do you pray about your worries? Do you cry upon, do you cry before God Almighty? And do you ask him to lead you? Do you ask him to guide you through the things you're going through? Do you allow him 
to be your counselor today, before we can, before he can be our wonderful counselor, before he can counsel us in our lives, we've got to understand two things. Who is our counselor? And not only who is our counselor, but also uh, But what does he do? Simply, what does he do? Four ways that I want to show you today that shows us how God is our counselor. Number one, he guides us through truth. He guides us to the truth. John 16 and 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. What is a counselor? Before you understand what a counselor is, you understand what it means. A counselor is a person trained to give someone guidance. Not only must we understand what a counselor is, but who a counselor is. He's a person that is trained. But who is our counselor? It is the Spirit of God that is living and dwelling on the inside of our hearts. He guides us to truth. The Bible teaches us that uh, the truth can set us free from sin, death, loneliness, free from anything that is contrary to His Word. He will lead us and guide us. We find the truth by allowing the Spirit of God to guide us to the truth about Jesus. That is, He came to be our Savior, number one. The Spirit will always guide us in our lives as we seek Him through prayer. Amen. He will lead us through truth. But let me ask you this. Let me tell you this. How can He lead us through truth if we're never in the truth? How can, how can the Spirit of God, who is our counselor, who is our, our guide, who is our, who's the one that leads us every single day, how can He lead us through truth if we're not in the truth? I'll tell you this, I can testify to this, that I would, I would be talking to someone that I may know and they'll be sharing with me a... Um, a particular incident or situation that they may be going through. And, and at the time they're telling me this, I'm kind of praying to myself and I, I say, Lord, I don't know how to help them. I, I, honestly, I've never dealt with this situation before. And as they're sitting there sharing to me all of the things that they're trying to tell me and things that they may be going through, and I'm thinking, Lord, if you want to help, if you want to use me to help this individual, you're going to fill my mouth. You're going to bring some things back to my remission because I don't know how to help them in this certain situation. And believe it or not, scriptures will be come back to my mind that I may have read years ago. And it will be the very scripture and the very stories that I have read before and studied through the Word of God that will be the very thing that they need to help overcome their situation. Let me tell you this, my friend. Listen to me very carefully. If you ever want God to use you in a mighty way, you've got to deposit so He can withdraw. Amen. It's just like a bank account. If you don't put nothing in the bank, nothing can be withdrawn. That's why every day we should meditate, we should eat, and we should have this word upon my heart. And I, I love quoting this passage of Scripture. I quote it all the time. When David said, I have hidden your word upon my heart that I may not sin against you. We should be, this, this Bible should be our life. This word should be our every step. This word should be everything that defines us because this word is our very foundation in which you and I stand upon. This word is the very foundation our faith is based upon. Amen. How can the Spirit of God lead you through truth if we're never in the truth? Amen. 
How can we ever come out of a situation? How can we ever depart from the life of sin? How can we ever get delivered from the life that we are in and the, and the ways that we're going if we're never in the truth? He is our counselor. He leads us and guides us through truth. The way, If you want to know which way you should go, your direction's right here. Your direction. This is your guidebook. This is your handbook to life. You know, I've heard people saying, you know, the things that we go through today, we did not get a, a guide or a book to kind of get a step-by-step on which way to go through life. And I'm thinking, they did. It's called the Bible. Things that are in this Bible are written hundreds and thousands of years ago and is more accurate today than even news. The Spirit of God leads us through truth. The Spirit of God will not lead you anywhere, any step, or any direction that is contrary to this Word. His movement, His actions, His work is based upon and lined upon the Word of God. So number one, He guides us to the truth and through the truth. John 16 and 3, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. And number two, number two, he guides us away from sin. He guides us away from sin. Remember what I just said right before we get into these? I said a counselor is a person trained to give someone guidance. That is what a counselor does. He guides us away from sin through prayer is our number one gift from God. It's our, our greatest communication to Him. It's our greatest communication tool that enables us to hear from God. We are able to be led by the Spirit of God, the lust of the flesh, including all sin, that would have us to follow our earthly desires like money, greed, um, uh, pride, and lust. Now, when we are walking with the Spirit, He will guide us into godly pursuits. When we are, see, that's the key. When we are walking in the Spirit, do you walk in the Spirit? Ask yourself that one question. Do I walk in the Spirit of God? Before I get up, before you ever leave the house, you need to make sure you are walking every day in the Spirit of God. Because when we walk in the Spirit of God, that will, uh, that will keep us and help us not to fall into traps. Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Spirit of God will lead us and guide us and direct us away from the life of sin. I can't tell you, I can't tell you, and those that may still work a public job today, I can't tell you how many times I am in, caught up in a situation where um, I would be at one of my accounts and I would be in the back room where my, where my stuff is and, and I would hear the, the conversations that some people have and they're very vulgar and they're very uh, ungodly. And I would be um, uh, close to them. I was uh, maybe doing my paperwork or, or checking in a load or finalizing an order or something like that. And they're right there and just having this ungodly communication or conversation. And they're just, uh, they both all got their phones out and they're, and they're doing this and laughing at this. And, and they try to engage me in the, the conversation. And they already know who I am and what I stand for. And they say, look at this. I'm like, no, 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 I'm okay. You, you have all that you want. That is me 
walking in the Spirit of God. Because before I even engaged into that, my heart was quenched, my heart was uh, 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 pierced, and my spirit was touched and said, no, stand back from that. Don't engage in something like this. I can just feel it just grip me and say, no, that is not right. That is me walking in the Spirit of God. If I was not walking in the Spirit of God, I would fall, my, fall away into a lot of lust and temptations and, and sin and greed and pride and money and, and when I walk in the flesh and not in the Spirit of God. Let me tell you one thing. If the Spirit of God is our counselor, I remember as a kid in elementary school, we had a thing, a, a person called our, our guidance counselor. And uh, I remember certain kids would go to them and, and, and see the guidance counselor if they were experiencing um, some certain problems or issues or, or things they needed help on and direction. And the guidance counselor would help them and give them a good direction and try to help them overcome whatever it is they may be facing. I begin to think about that. And so nowadays, like for example, a married couple who would be uh, facing marital problems on the verge of divorce, whatever the case may be, or it may be uh, outside um, marital um, uh, incidents or, or hindrances, or it may be financial issues. I remember a lawyer saying the biggest of, uh, cause of divorce is financial issues. It's the number one cause of divorce because it causes conflict, causes arguments, causes uh, bitterness. And so when they go through these times and they go through these uh, situations, these seasons, and they're, they're about to uh, sign the divorce papers, and the mom and the dad and friends are coming up to them and say, look, don't get a divorce. Don't go through this. It'll be hard on the kids. It'll be, it'll be worse. You, you won't be able to uh, imagine what you're going through. And then they say, won't you go see a counselor, a marriage counselor? They'll help you. And then this is where even people like in marriages and people in the church Fall is right here. Immediately when they say, hey, why don't you go see a marriage counselor? I know they'll help you. They'll, they'll set you a, a, a set plan and, and, and lead you and guide you and, and help you get your, your marriage back together. They'll say, no, no. Them people are probably crazier than I am. I don't want them to know my business. I don't want them to know my problems. You know what that is? That's called pride. Mm-mm. That is called pride. Same way people in the church. They go through incidents, they go through seasons, they go through battles, they go through trials, they fall into traps of sin, and they, they have all these things hidden in their hearts, hidden in their spirits, and, then, and it's like the Spirit of God just begins to deal with their hearts and begins to pull and puts the, and puts the convicted power upon their heart and their spirit, saying, why don't you come to me? Why don't you bring this before me? Why don't you let me have this? Why don't you just pour this out, lay this upon the altar, and I will, I will forgive you, I will heal you. I will take this off of you. But then here's where pride comes in. It's because when we commit a sin or we fall into a trap, we think that we are the only one who has ever done it. And everybody else has never faced what I've faced. Let me tell you what. A church is a building full of imperfect people all striving for one perfect goal. I don't care if you step out on your marriage I don't care if you stole money. I don't care if you, whatever the case may be, I don't care. Somebody has done the same thing you have done. Right. Pride is an act of the flesh. 
Pride is what keeps you. And let me tell you something this. Denial is not deliverance. Denial is not deliverance. What does that mean? It's because you deny the problem does not mean you've been delivered from the problem. Just because you sweep it on the road for a time or two does not mean it's, been, it's dealt with. Does not mean you've been delivered from it. How many times, I'll even say I have been there before, how many times have we done some things in our own lives serving God? And I would have the convicting power of God. And you think you're strong enough to overcome that? I'd say you're not. Have you ever been chastised by God? I have. I would take a, gr- a grown beat by 12, by 12 grown men that ever faced what I felt in this one season I went through. I thought I could have it my way. I thought I could do what I wanted to do. But God said, no, mom, mom. Oh, big boy. This ain't your parade no more. <laughs> Amen. I said, I got this. Let me tell you, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was, let me tell you what the most miserable, what the most miserable place for a Christian is outside the will of God. That is the most miserable place a child of God can ever be. It's outside of the will of God. During this time I was outside His will, I was the most miserable. I hated myself. I didn't want people to be around me. I didn't want to be isolated. I didn't want nothing to do with the world. I didn't want nothing to do with the church. I was miserable. Because I was outside the will of God because I was not walking in the Spirit. I was not allowing God to be my counsel. I was not letting Him guide me and lead me through His Scripture, through prayer. I wanted it in my way. And God says, I'm going to chastise you. I'm going to whip your behind. And He did. I have seen a dear friend of mine who had some problems in his marriage. And he thought he could deal with it. He thought, well, as long as I don't tell my wife, it'll, it'll all be okay. I'll just ask God to forgive me, and I'll go on by my way. I, I won't even bring it up. I'll forget about it. That don't work. Uh-huh. Let me tell you how that don't work. Well, you say, well, hold on now. Does the Bible say if pray and ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you? Yes, it does. But listen to this. You're married to and have become joined as one. What you do affects your wife or your husband. Right. Even if you tell them or her that you did or didn't do it. Just because you did it, you have affected your spouse. So now how do you get completely healed from that? Two things. Ask him first, God forgive me for what I've done. Lead me and guide me. Counsel me. Now here comes the healing. Confess it to your wife. Confess it to your husband. The thing that you've done to cause the sin and the flesh to rise up in your marriage. Walk in the Spirit of God. He guides us away from sin. He guides us to the truth. Thirdly, He guides us to our purpose. He guides us to our purpose. When we seek God, He will reveal our gifts to us, our talents, and to help others. And, and whatever your talent may be, it may be singing, it may be preaching, it may be teaching, it may be uh, just greeting someone at the door. Whatever it may be, but I've said this a hundred times, and I will continue to say it a hundred more times. The very thing that you're doing right this moment is not your calling. Your job is not to come into this church and not to sit on that red pew and sit there. That is not your calling. That is not your purpose. And see, so many times we think, well, I'm too old. 
I'm just I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I've got some some health issues. I've got some physical issues. And 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 let me ask you this: How much physical uh, uh, ability does it take to stand right there, open right there, and just greet people as they walk in? You got something to do. If you woke up with breath in your lungs, it should be a day of rejoicing. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? I've still got breath in these lungs. The devil has not put me on the grave. I will serve you this day. I choose this day to worship you and to serve you. God, what would you have me to do? If you wake up and you're not in a hospital bed and you're on this side of the grave, you are blessed. Amen. That means God has called you one more day to fulfill the purpose and the calling He has upon your life. Let me ask you this. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? And you all may say, well, it's to worship and serve God. Well, that's true. That's all of our purpose. What is your specific purpose? What did God call you to do specifically? Well, I really don't know that. Well, how do I find that out? Like I just said, He guides us through the truth. He shows us through His Word what our purpose is. I'd much rather... Walk on your toes every single Sunday morning, every single Wednesday night. I rather walk on your toes and hurt your feelings a little bit with the truth of God's Word. And, and I may uh, throw a few spiritual boots in your rear and, and for you to get to the glory gate and, and stand before God Almighty and say, I could have done more. I should have done more. God, why did I not do enough? I should have been done. I should have been doing all these things all this time. And for God to look at my members in this church and say, why didn't He do more? Why did you not do more? You could have done more. You chose not to do more. You come complacent. You come stagnant in your walk. And you wanted to be, have everything tailored and custom fitted just for you to have. And you could have done more. And you say, well, what can I do to the church? Well, can I have you? What's your pastor lately? And say, hey, pastor, I just want to know I'm here to serve. I'm here to do something. Hey, hey, pastor, listen, I noticed when I put in the parking lot, there's some leaves and some sticks in the parking lot. Hey, the next print day we get, I'm going to get out there, I'm going to get them leaves off the parking lot for you. Don't worry about paying, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it for the kingdom. I'm going to do it for God. That's right. Or, or pastor, I noticed that uh, there's some things on the, around the fellowship building that need to be done. Hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about payment. I'll do it for God. Have you talked to your pastor lately? And say, like, hey, uh, Pastor, I know there, there hasn't been anybody greeting at, or, or visitors and greeting anybody comes in. Hey, if you don't mind, I want to stand back there and just greet people when they come in. I want, I want to be able to do something. Hey, hey, Pastor, can I take up the offering uh, this morning? Or and see, we we think that we we often we think that purpose means ministry always. Well, if you look at it, all things consist of ministry, but people get the concept of ministry all wrong. Ministry is preaching and teaching. That's it. That's what the concept and mindset they have. Well, I'm not part of ministry because I don't teach, I don't preach. There's so many other things that we can do to glorify and extend the kingdom of God outside this pulpit. Right. So many things. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the icing on the cake. The real ministry is outside these walls. Absolutely. Amen. Have you ever have you ever thought about, brother? I know I don't teach. I'm not called to teach. That's okay. I'm not called to preach. That's okay. I can't carry a tune if you strap it to my back. That's okay. And I, I can't play instruments. That's okay. But Pastor, can I go outside these walls and can I witness to people? And can I invite them to come to church? 
Just when I go to the grocery store, and as, as I come in contact with people, and, and the, the lady that checks me out at the register, can I can I tell her about the Pinson Church of God? Can I tell them about our pastor? Can I tell them about what we're doing at the church? Can I share the good news of Jesus with them? Yes. Do you have to have a degree to do that? No. Do you have to be recognized by an organization? No. All you got to do is be a servant of the king. Amen. That's all, you, that's all it takes. Your purpose, again, is not to be sitting in a pew twice a week, every week. Your purpose is to be led by the Spirit, to be counseled by the Spirit, to be guided by the Spirit of God to your purpose. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's Jesus. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are depressed. What is your purpose today? If you don't know what your purpose is, Please, before you leave, let me know. And I promise you, I can't tell you what your purpose is. I'm not God. But I will say this. If you tell me and come up to me, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I don't want nobody leaving here not knowing what their purpose for the kingdom is. I will pray with you and we will touch the throne room of God. I can lead you through scripture. I can do all I can to help you. Get to your purpose. And fourthly and lastly, he guides us to the will of God. Now, when David prayed, he asked God to teach him and lead him in the way of God. Now, simply the easiest way, but no matter where God will lead us, we can trust him to be with us every step of the way. We can learn God's will for our lives as we learn more about him through prayer and through his word in the Bible. Now, Psalms 143 and 10. Teach me. To do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. He will lead you to his will. Which falls right behind with purpose. God's spirit in us. Again is our wonderful counselor. That is with us every step of the way. Every minute of the day. Every hour of the day. And he will lead you. To the will of God. My friend, the scariest thing in the world is not knowing if you're in the will of God or not. To wake up and know if the trumpet sounds right now, would I make it? If God calls me home, whether by the grave or some other incident, if God was to call me or you home today, could you say I'm going? Could you say right now, Pastor, I know without a shadow of a doubt I am in the will of God. What is the will of God for you in your life? What is your purpose in life? The Spirit of God will lead you and guide you away from sin, away from lust, greed, money, and the things that Satan has set out for traps. And he will also guide you to the truth. And as I close, I want you to ask God when we pray, Say, so say, Lord, I don't know my purpose. And you know what's sad, and this is true, that we've got members. I'm not talking about this church specifically. I'm talking about church in general. 
that we have got people who have been sitting in church for 30, 40, 50 years, I'm being honest with you, who don't know their purpose. They're going to church simply because it's what mom and daddy did. It's what uh, grandma and granddaddy did. And they do it because they think this is the right thing to do. But outside of that, they don't know why they're here. They don't know the will of God. And they don't know the purpose they have for the kingdom. So as we pray, just ask the Lord, God, what would you have me do today? You are my counselor, my wonderful counselor. I want you to counsel me. I want you to guide me today to show me, to lead me and guide me in the way you would have me to go. And the only way you can do that is have your heart right with God and to surrender your all to Him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you just touch each and every heart, Lord, that's here today. Lord, I pray that you counsel us today, Lord, that you would just lead us, guide us into all truth, guide us away from sin, God, guide us to our purpose, and Lord, guide us to our to your will today. God, I don't want anybody leaving today not knowing their purpose, not knowing the will that you have for them and the way that you would have them to go. God, I pray, Lord, that you would lead and guide each and every person today. Lord, that they will fulfill their purpose, their calling, because all are called today, and few are chosen. It's what your word says today. God, I pray, God, you just touch each and every one. Lord, I pray that you just touch them in their body. I pray, God, you touch in every need, in every aspect they stand in need of. Lord, they don't have to uh, proclaim them. Lord, you already know our hearts. You already know our minds. And you already know our needs before we ever even ask. God, we just want to come today and say we love you. We worship you. And we give you all the praise and glory. We pray, God, you watch over us and bring us back Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.